Hello and welcome to the podcast version of Let's Kill Twitter, the show that aims to detox your timeline with the art of conversation. Let's Kill Twitter is recorded live and on Zoom and this week's guest was comedian Simon Evans. This was a show with a bit of a difference because Simon was actually walking around the streets of Hove when we recorded this. Thankfully his 4G held up so we discussed tweets on GB News, experts on the pandemic, the Bill Murray meme that was doing the rounds, I'm sure you'll know what it is, the possibility of a progressive alliance and a crisis for PhD holders, no less. We hope you enjoy the show. Please do follow us on Twitter at LKTZoom. Hello world, I think we're live. We've had a minor few technical hitches to sort of uh, succumb, so we're just a few minutes after eight o'clock. Um, hello and welcome, it's Sunday night. It is 8.02 and you're watching Let's Kill Twitter, the show that aims to detox your timeline with the art of conversation. And as you know, I don't have to go through that lofty task alone. Tonight, joining me to trawl through Twitter is the fantastic comedian, Simon Evans. But before I do a proper introduction for Simon, let's do a little bit of uh, housekeeping. If you're watching us, you'll be watching us live on one of YouTube, Twitch, or Facebook Live. The stream will be available after the show, so please do uh, tell a friend to go there if they haven't seen it. Um, preferably YouTube, because the quality on YouTube is much better, and we'd really like people to click subscribe. Now, speaking of subscribing to things, uh, please do follow us at LKT Zoom on Twitter, which is right next to me on the screen share. This is where you can tweet at us during the show with any comments, suggestions, your favorite tweets, questions, the lot. Uh, when we're not streaming, you can use it to uh, catch up with the clips that we're going to be releasing and the fantastic tweets that we regularly retweet. Um, only the best on the timeline, of course. So that is. Uh, enough with the admin. Um, I'm sure you're going to do all of those things that I've just told you to do. Uh, now, it gives me great pleasure to uh, introduce Simon Evans. Just before I bring him to our screens, I'm just going to remind, as if you needed reminding of the, of the decades of one of uh, the UK's best loved comedians, but you will, of course, have seen him on Live at the Apollo, Michael McIntyre's Roadshow, Stand Up for the Week, uh, Question Time, of course, and on radio, uh, his series, Simon Evan Goes, Goes to Market, was on for five seasons uh, by popular demand, which is quite fitting for a show about the economy. Uh, latterly, uh, he was uh, doing Simon Evans is Right, which was about political balance and his biography jokes that that was the last time he was seen, on, seen or heard on Radio 4. Uh, no coincidence. But actually, uh, he, of course, he's on the news quiz, and I'm pretty sure he's on the news quiz recently. Um, and live-wise, uh, Simon's tours such as Friendly Fire, Leashed and Genius 2.0 uh, have all garnered fantastic praise from the mainstream media, hooray the mainstream media, and uh, he's currently on tour with The Work of the Devil, that's the show title. Uh, he was at the Bath International Comedy Festival just recently and uh, he is on tour, well Simon can tell you where he's going to be on next. In fact, let's let's ask Simon a bit more about the tour. I'll bring you to uh, our screens. Please welcome Simon Evans. Hello, Simon from the streets of Brighton or home. Do tell. Yes, hello, Julian. Hello. Thanks for that intro. That that made it sound like quite a decent career. I, I must do more of these shows. Yeah. <laughs> Sounded quite a coherent, joined-up set of events. That. Well, that's all down to whoever wrote who put the biography on the website. So kudos to them if it wasn't you. 
Oh, hang on. Let's let's. Good stuff. Oh, we've got Twitch. I'm being heckled again by Twitch. Hang on. Let's press. There we go. As if I need to hear my voice that many times. How are you, sir? Is that me, or are you that's talking you. to Twitch? No, that's definitely you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm lovely. I've I've been I've had a day in the sunshine, and I promised my son we'd take him out on the paddleboard this evening, which is why I'm away from my desk and away from proper Wi-Fi access, which I I, I do apologise for. But uh, we don't always, um, you know, get the weather to really enjoy the uh, the the amenities that moving to the seaside is supposed to provide. But it's been amazing the last couple of days. The sea is as as tranquil as the proverbial mill pond, and um, and it is it's quite magical at this time of night actually. So I didn't want to miss out on that. Uh, I have to say, I I totally commend your commitment to, to the sun, which is something I and yeah. and to the just general environs. I mean, I sun think and the, steel. The first time, so we've had uh, we had Susie Bennett once doing the show from her mobile, so that was a first for us. But now we've never had a, actually anyone doing it in this kind of uh, slightly investigative journalist uh, style. Yeah. <laughs> And we're about to go and door stop someone, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I mean, this. I mean, who knows what could happen? This is the, the thrill of live entertainment, virtual, of course, but nonetheless. On the but, other hand, we are in Hove, where very little happens as a rule. So those two things should count each other. <laughs> yeah. Well, that is true. I think I think we should be on fairly safe ground, actually, in that respect. Um, you're you're back touring, aren't you? Yes, fingers crossed. I did one in Bath this week on Friday. Um, I'm, I haven't had 100% confirmation yet, but I'm, I'm, I think we're on for doing, I think, about 10 dates in Edinburgh in the middle of the, the, the run. They've, they've got a very um, thinned out version of the festival, but I think there's a Spiegel tent operating in George Square, which I've got a slot in. And then in September, fingers crossed, Delta variant, etc., permitting, we go back out and, and uh, I say we, it's just me really. Uh, back out there and, and absolutely caning it for about three months, really trying to catch up all the gigs that were cancelled. Not once, but twice. We had gigs in, in March, April, May last year that were cancelled and moved to the following spring, and then they were cancelled again. But, you know, hopefully third time's the charm. Totally. Um, uh, we just had one of our regular viewers, Martin, tweeting us, uh, loving Evans al fresco. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, well, I mean, it's good to, I mean, look, I mean, obviously that is the sort of, that's the topic of the, of the moment in terms of, uh, you know, where we are with, you know, Freedom Day in inverted commas tomorrow and, and what have you. But but it is, it, it's getting back to some kind of, you know, normalisation and this will be a, this will be a different step for you. So I think your gig in Bath, was that two well, there was one venue you had to do two shows, but presumably you won't be, have to do that. Yeah, after. when it was initially booked, it was supposed to be, you know, the um, the, the final restrictions were going to be uh, dismantled or lowered or whatever on in January, in, in June, in June. Sorry, and they yeah, of by a month. And so we hit, we were still into socially distance. So rather than cancel it and move it again, we, we did an early and a late show. I think a few people were a bit fed up, but, you know, that the, the, the time of the show was, you know, was... Um, disrupted and I, I rattled through the, <laughs> the content of it because I didn't want anyone to miss anything so they got an hour and a half worth of material in about an hour and 10 minutes and then they were turfed out you know and and the next lot brought in but um if you've ever eaten Chinese food in the Wonky restaurant in Chinatown just off Leicester Square it was that kind of attitude you know right you, you finished your food out you go <laughs> yes yes that's right yeah um no, well I mean it's got a good flexibility I mean it kind of kept things going and at least you haven't had to kind of 
go through the sort of ignominy of, of having anything cancelled. And I know, I know there have been a lot of cancellations uh, knocking around as yeah. well. So, of, so no, there have been a few. There have been a few. It's been, um, I mean, so we'll get to in the selection of tweets that you've chosen for us tonight. I mean, certainly returning to normal and the economy of that and the kind of backlash against that is, is something that I know is the subject of one of your uh, tweets and one of the exchanges, certainly. Yeah. But before we launch into the fantastic five that you've given us tonight, I mean, I might, I might actually have to do some thinking on some of these tweets. I'm slightly disturbed. But, but in terms of your life online, Simon, and your life on social media, um, well, I, I've I remember you had a period away from Twitter. And I think one of the first tweets that you, you tweeted after you, the break was, uh, gosh, it's a hell site on here. And I, I don't know if your view has changed since you've come back. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things very much like they say, alcohol, the, the cause of and the solution to all the world's problems. You know, I feel like Twitter is, uh, it, it delivers it, like toxic doses of things which would in, in more regular doses be quite good and healthy. Yeah. It, it's provocative, it is um, enlivening, it, it is, uh, you know, multipolar and you get all kinds of points of view and you get all kinds of, you hear all sorts of voices you might not otherwise encounter. You can choose to have your own views confirmed and, and elevated, or you can choose to encounter people who are clearly idiots and, and have not grasped the, the important points of any situation you know, and try and correct them. But all of that is is fine as if, if you can if you can just you know monitor and and, and mitigate your own capacity for, for overindulgence. But if if you allow it to become as I do sometimes you allow it to get its hooks into you too much mm. and I think it can really be it can derange you because uh, one post I saw recently and, and retweeted was a, uh, a picture of the, a famous sort of uh, illustration of Plato's cave you know where the where the, the idiots are watching the, the shadow play on the wall and don't realize that they're seeing only a two-dimensional version of reality and you have to crawl out the hole to get up onto the the surface and see the light of the sun and he was saying this, that is what Twitter is, you know, you, you can see, you see this kind of shadow play and it's not, it's an emergent phenomenon, it's nothing sinister, it's not something that, you know, Silicon Valley executives have deliberately done in order to kind of turn us all into, you know, uh, half-witted, supine, slave-like, uh, you know, deracinated popular. I don't have any kind of, you know, I don't think there's any agenda, it's just a lot of the things that we're encountering in the modern world change pace so fast and the effects they have on us are, are so hard to monitor in real time and, and it's 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 incumbent upon us all to basically take responsibility for whether or not we get swept away by it i guess yeah um, but and it's tricky i mean it's tricky i mean your your you know your use of it as a comedian is very much using it to construct an argument and obviously there are but there are other comedians who are sort of sucked into uh so for example the story this morning the u-turn story with uh Rishi Sunak, the U-turn of the self-isolation from Rishi Sunak and Boris Johnson. Yeah. I mean, you know, comedians' minds are in sort of overload at, at that point. And, you know, which meme can I use for this? Uh, I mean, I'm sort of getting into that habit now, you know, what other story can I correlate yeah. it to? And all the, it, it's, a, it's a bit of mental gymnastics sometimes, and it's it kind of irresistible. I, I personally... There's one particular thing, and that Sunak, Johnson and Gove and what have you story, and, and Sajid David is an example of that. I definitely resist 
90%, I mean, nobody is perfect on this, but I resist 90% of the uh, temptations to like address personal hypocrisy or, or to say, you know, like when Dominic Cummings uh, went to mm. Barnard Castle, you know, yeah. and everyone said, oh, but these are your rules and you've broken them. I'm like, I don't really care about that. Honestly, the, the question is, are these rules a set of rules which a, a, a populace in a modern democracy should accept? Or should they be guidelines or should the police be able to fly drones over dog walkers, you know, in Derbyshire? Or is that like is that nascent tyranny and should be resisted. It really doesn't make much difference to me whether Dominic Cummings, who I always thought was a slightly odd individual anyway, had, had, uh, had I think he had genuinely convinced himself that he wasn't breaking the law. And, and indeed, it, it seems he wasn't. But, you know, that is, I find, petty and tiresome. Do you know what I mean? That kind yeah. of, to be honest, I would quite happily accept if they were to say, this is the law, for 98% of the population, but there are a few people, among them the Chancellor of the Exchequer and the Prime Minister, who we consider to be so important to the smooth running of the country that we might give them, you know, a, a free pass. Yeah. <laughs> what I mean, it's absurdly petty to think that that's what's important about what's going on. What's important is, you know, are we being in, enabled or in, in, even encouraged or allowed to understand the statistics that are so, like flowing over us like a torrent Every day, mm. cases, IFRs, hospitalizations. These are the important figures, not whether or not somebody you really personally can't stand because of his politics has, you know, has been pinged because he attended a public event. And is he going to be forced to have his life disrupted like yours has been? That's a really futile and childlike approach to it, in my view. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's interesting that I can certainly see on the one hand that the kind of the the government's sort of legitimacy for what the messages they want to put across has, has had a sort of almost constant buffeting for various reasons. But I mean, one thing about Twitter, just the media generally over the Cummings affair, it was it was literally a kind of, it felt like a daily announcement. It's like, remember Dominic yeah. Cummings broke the rules. Just, and don't yeah. forget, Dominic Cummings broke the rules, just in case you hadn't heard. It's like, okay. Absolutely. But the thing is, as I mean, as you mentioned, my programme, Simon Evans is right. And I, I have said I, I don't regard myself as necessarily a right-wing comedian. I, I like to think I take issues independently to some extent. I'm not too tribal. But you have to recognise, if you are anywhere near right of centre, that it's been a very long time since any left-wing politicians had any absolute power or influence on the, on the, on, you know, the course of events in this country. And so it's understandable, of course, if you're a left-wing comedian, that you do, you know, there is no question Sadly, the truth is attacking individuals is a far more powerful way of getting leverage and winning in the attention economy than, than you know, issuing some <laughs> manifesto about policy. You know, most people just haven't got the appetite for it, but they, they love to see what essentially amounts to graffiti on the face of a public figure. So there's no, I, I don't feel any, you know, I, 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 I'm not at all surprised that that's what happens because a lot of people are just endlessly frustrated that since 2010 and despite everything that they think has been manifestly you know uh, yeah. as um has should have disbarred the Tories. that they, they just keep getting bigger and bigger majorities you know it must be infuriating so i don't blame them yeah win winning twitter central has never been a guarantee of success or at least not so far no. um it's so funny how uh, the, the angle in which I'm seeing Hove this evening just reminds me of how Monte, I imagine Monte Carlo must look. You've really caught his good side. Oh, yes, <laughs> absolutely. 
Well, we're not up by the marina, sadly, which would disabuse you of that comparison very quickly. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, it was nice while it lasted. Um, yeah. well, actually, just very quickly, when it comes to other social media, do you, uh, I mean, I don't tend to, but do you engage at all on, on Facebook or uh, sort of Instagram? No, I don't go on Facebook at all, partly because um, I think until you get like comfortable with social media, it's, these things are just confusing and I honestly don't really know how it works. But also Twitter in itself is enough of a waste of time, you know, a <laughs> terrible drain. On my I mean, it really disrupts my ability to concentrate now. So if I had Facebook as well, I have got a page. Yeah, um, I should probably hand it over to a social media expert who would just use it to advertise tours and things, because I'm sure it's a very good medium for uh, commercial purposes and people tell me that instagram now rather counterintuitively to, to my mind that instagram yeah. is apparently the best tool of the major for for, for grown-ups the kids move on every five minutes don't they even snapchat i think or tiktok or, and then you know there's probably a new one now i haven't even heard of that is uh, superseded those but um yeah i'm told that instagram is the way to go if you want to actually promote yourself but i find twitter is i mean one of the good things about it is that it is it can be an extremely uh, uh, in, in, uh, an extremely lively conversation, you know, can take yeah. place there, but you can't like dominate it or just like spool out. Whereas you can on Facebook, you see some of these like monologues that people come out with that people oh do my, share with me yeah. as screen grabs. From Facebook, and I think, you know, my God, I wouldn't read that. I would get two lines into that and go, whatever, fine. I, you know. I, <laughs> I know you could start off with the thing that you, you, you'd you expect quite a lot of sympathy for and you're just thinking, well, I'm sorry, but if you're yeah. going to go over uh, three paragraphs, I'm suddenly, you know, I'm out. It's like Dragon's Den of yeah, uh, social media. I mean, we all have the arrogance. We all have the ego, especially comedians, but I'm sure most people have the ego to think, I've had enough of this. I'm going to speak my mind. You know, it's about yeah. time somebody said, said told it how it is. But it's very, very few people have actually got the insight and the intellect to justify that. <laughs> you know, they, they end up just repeating things you've, you've read and seen expressed better and more concisely elsewhere. Well, I can't remember yeah. the last time someone genuinely have a new interesting insight. They make good jokes, but very few of us really um, have got anything new to say. Well, it's uh, Martin, uh, one of our viewers, Martin, I still miss the discipline of the 140 character limit. Yeah, it's a fair point, actually. I think on the whole, 280 is good. I resisted it at first, but I think it is about right. But I would certainly resist any any further increases, which I don't think are likely. No, no, that's true. Well, we wouldn't get all our tour, uh, we wouldn't all get our uh, podcast links on if we didn't have 280. Yeah. So let's get stuck into the tweets, because there is a lot to say about all of these tweets. I don't know if you have a sort of preferred um order um i'm well gb news uh, i sort of find i don't have a preferred order do whatever you like oh uh, let's 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 go for some low-hanging fruit uh so um ian leslie uh um uh, who i uh, retweet quite often actually i'll just um i'll just read out the tweet so that everyone knows uh what the score is um, so I quite like the idea of GB News, as described by Andrew Neil before it went on air. I think it would be good for the media ecosystem to have a sensible centre-right TV news brand. But this is a clown show. So is, is it a clown show now, Simon? I mean, I, I, I saw you on it, uh, obviously, last weekend with Dave Chawner on Andrew Doyle's show. 
Oh, he was that, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that was partly the reason that I, it caught my eye because I I was very keen when Andrew rang me up before the show launched, before the channel launched. I like Andrew very much, a very clever guy, and I've done yeah. a couple of panel discussions with him at various events, Battle of Ideas a couple of times. And obviously I know the characters he's created. He was uh, instrumental in Jonathan Pye and then um, his uh, Titania McGrath character who enrages all the right people to an hilarious degree. But... Um, <laughs> But I feel he is a sort of island of competence within the within that show. And it is quite interesting just how badly wrong you seem to be able to get it. Somebody like Andrew Neal, who's had an extraordinary amount of experience on both broadcast and, and um, uh, print media, you know, for decades. And yet, and you, it's not, you wouldn't think, it's like, it's not a brand new format. It's just a rolling news channel with lots of discussion programs. So the extent to which they've managed to get it wrong is quite extraordinary. But, um, but I do feel it's, it would be a terrible shame if it doesn't make it, because I do think it's the first show for a long time in this country. It's the first thing that's tried to put its money where its mouth is. There's been a lot of eye rolling and hand wringing about, you know, liberal bias within the BBC. I personally don't think their news gathering and broadcast department is too bad. I think on the, on the whole, I think, it's, I think it occasionally shines its spotlight on one side of the story a little bit more than the other, but I know plenty of other people who think the exact opposite view of that, you know. I think most of the bias is within things like the comedy department and the drama department and so on. But you've got to be able, if, you know, the first channel that's actually had a stab at, at, at bringing a, an alternative sort of side to the, to the discussion, if it falls flat on its face and dies, it really is, a, that is quite catastrophic really for the future of broadcasting, you know. Whatever you say about Fox News in America, it has provided a very strong alternative to MSNBC and uh, and ABC and so on. And they are very, you know, they're kept to some extent. You know, there's there's a tension across the divide that that forces a certain degree of of um, competence and and focus. I think if this fails, it, it would actually be quite bad for the future of British broadcasting because nobody will try and do it again, and uh, and it will it will kind of cut them loose to to actually you know that the the liberal left kind of agenda it will it will just play into their idea that they that there there is no bias all there is is competence you know and you don't you guys just don't have it you know so, i mean you see i mean i think you know some would argue that fox news started out in a place where well it's basically being dragged by the excesses of the the republican party to be a somewhat different beast at sort of how it started out um, and I think there were all people writing about GB News who were sort of surmising that that might well happen. But GB News has not yeah. had enough time to kind of demonstrate that. Uh, what it has had is this really bumpy beginning with all these sort of uh, technical faults. Technical I mean, the sound, the sound yeah. is still an issue. Um, it's um, and now it's had the slightly. And anyone, I mean, any community knows that that's a terrible that you cannot do a good gig if the sound's no good yeah it's worse actually than the pic even though it's on television it's the, the sound undermines people's confidence in what's going on more quickly than a than a bad lighting or you know i think there's there's nothing worse than trying to hear somebody speak with authority on an important topic but but their their sound 
giving the impression that they're that this is a some sort of you know pirate radio <laughs> yeah. it's just terrible, terrible. <laughs> but I, I mean what is it in particular that's happening with it now that makes you think that it, it's it's on the slide I mean I know well, obviously Nigel Farage has just announced the the new show uh, and the other yeah. issue which I can uh sort of slightly just quickly uh summarize in a tweet uh I I spotted this and then John Holmes spotted it um which is the GB News uh tweet about basically standing for the GB stands for square against racism in all its forms we do not have a company lined on taking the knee some of our guests have been in favor some against all are anti-racist we have some editorial standards uh, that all GB News journalists uphold and then of course there's the rejoinder uh, here on Tuesday, a contributing presenter, Guto Hari, took the knee live on air, and this was an acceptable breach of our standards. Now, whatever you think about taking the knee, the juxtaposition of those two things suggests a yeah. disorganisation, to put it politely. I thought that that, that is an interesting um, uh, event, and obviously, in the context of their of their of the background of their general air of incompetence and 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 you know piss up in a brewery incompetence, then um, it, it just looks plain bad for GB News, who on the one hand guarantee a degree of, of uh, independent thought and free speech for their presenters, and then as soon as one does something that isn't on brand, they're, they're like down on it. But I do think taking the knee. I mean, I didn't see the end the the episode, but. It, it would be odd, wouldn't it, if any presenter on a TV show on in, I would think it was odd if Adel Ray stood out in front of his desk on GMTV, you know, and took the knee. It's just, it's not, it's not a neutral gesture. It's not just like going, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm actually against racism. I think it's a bit stronger than that. So I do think they could, they could conceivably marshal their skills to create an argument and a justification for why they don't want their presenters to do that. And but obviously, I mean, in this particular case, it 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 does kind of reek somewhat of just trying to mollify the base such as it remains, who who will only now think right. This is like our our own personal pet project, and it's probably nudged the whole thing a bit further to the right, which is a bit unfortunate because you want it to be essentially what anyone would have wanted. I think what ninety percent of the viewers would have wanted would be a TV show, which was it was basically the manifestation of Andrew Neil, you know, mm. just extrapolate everything. Andrew Neil is almost without question was the BBC's most trusted and least biased political interviewer. He was the scourge of cabinet ministers, shadow cabinet ministers, media owners, everyone, you know, there was nobody who, who was let off lightly by him. He was always really well briefed. He always could see the point of weakness and would target all his strength towards it. He was a tremendously... Uh, well, Boris didn't even want to be interviewed by him, did he? No, exactly. You know, that's what <laughs> is himself. He's a tremendously powerful TV presence, a, a really, really intelligent and, and, uh, and, and experienced. And I think I would say, yes, I could see there was a little... You could probably guess which way he would vote on certain issues, but it was not allowed to interfere with his determination to root out any, uh, you know, any dishonesty or, or uh, prevarication yeah. on the part of his guest. Well, that's what you wanted. You just wanted that 24 hours a day. As Damien Council, <laughs> one of the guys on that, on that thread said, really what they should have done before GB News, they should have created a YouTube channel. Andrew Neil does a big two hour interview every night as a live stream yeah. and gradually expand from that. You know, you could create a real buzz from that. 
it would have cost like not win not not one one hundredth of what they're doing now, you know. Create the the um, the brand, and then just start to gradually turn that from a two hour thing to a three hour thing to a five hour thing, and and then once you you know just bring things in one at a time instead of this kind of trying to land like hit hit the, hit the ground running, but but instead hit the ground and immediately trip over your laces. Yeah, I mean you know that's a good that's an interesting idea, I and mean, you know. The bad thing for GB News if it if it heads back to sort of uh, if it heads back to sort of YouTube territory that would be a good sign. Although some would say oh, yeah. some would say yeah. you know that's not necessarily the case. I mean you know I don't know whether it's the overfocus on work. I mean Andrew's show does really crystallise what what the issues are currently, and it does he does you know it basically does what he says on the tin in terms of charting sort of the woke agenda. But maybe there is too much of that. Uh, across the rest of the programming as well. I would say there is. It should be left to Andrew, and I think he does a tremendous job, but it shouldn't become the focus of it. Most people find it quite tiresome and suspect it of obscuring more important issues. So, yes, let's look at the important issues rather than just constantly going on about how terrible it is that this trivial nonsense is, um, is you know, is distracting everyone all the time. Well, I'm sure some Twitter watchers will be aware that uh, Owen Jones uh, invited Andrew Doyle to be part of his podcast yesterday and there was very interesting sort of uh, wild Ian yeah. comedy thread uh, of, of those podcasts they might both end up on. Come on this one guys. Yes, they seem to be sort of inviting each other don't they? <laughs> Quite peculiar, it, was very, but, yeah. it was very after you, well no after you. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. Um, it was all the nuances, it was all about the nuances of the invite really. So uh, much as I could talk about GB News all day, yeah. and we've actually had, uh, you know, when when GB News launched, Callie Beaton was on the show, and we had we had quite a bit, quite a bit of time on GB News then. Um, oh, I know, yeah, right. Now let's see. Um, let's 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 have a, a thorny one here. So um, so there's a Twitter user uh, Tom Tom Byrne at, asking you had have you had enough of experts, Simon? This is obviously. Uh, pandemic related you can go into the context I'll just mention I'll just let viewers know what the uh, what your tweet was your quote tweet uh, so I've counted to 100 and I'm sure uh, I'm still just oh, hang on a minute I have counted to 100 and I'm still just ever so slightly cross about the nature and tone of this inquiry so I'll tell you Tom yes yes I am experts of the kind intended by Gove in that notoriously truncated quote to be honest, old son, I've had a fucking bellyful. So I, I'm, yeah. I'm saving you the Which job. I realised when I wrote that, he should have said, yes, I have, rather than yes, I am. But <laughs> you get the message, I think, nevertheless. <laughs> so, what, what's, what's the beef? Come on, Sam, let's, let's uh, unleash the beast of the beef. I, do you know what? Uh, without looking at it, I can't remember exactly what I was cross about <laughs> when he said you had enough of experts, but I can remember what the ah, was. I can tell you exactly what it was. Point, it was Carol Cadwallader's uh, oh, okay. uh, independent sage oh, yes. yeah. group. Yeah. So, I mean, do you, was it? Because I mean, uh, so she says an incredibly high. Can you hear me? Yep. Yep. Sorry, so she says incredibly high. Uh, an incredibly high-level group of international experts have said that. Johnson's policy of opening up again in July is is you know is tantamount to to mass genocide or something. Yeah, I mean it's just constant sort of um, 
I, catastrophizing, I suppose, would be the word I, I'd, I'd, I'd want to use. There's just this kind of sense that experts, generally speaking, have had their status raised beyond their wildest dreams and expectations in the last couple of years. People who went into really quite dull fields of virology and epidemiology suddenly find themselves, you know, accorded the kind of uh, status and respect that you, you might have associated with a sort of 19th century Lord Chancellor or something, you know, whose, whose pronouncements, you know, the, 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 the people quake. And... Uh, but they're not and being quite yeah. Yes, yeah. I'm very tired of it because I think that they are. I I think that there are. There's definitely, obviously, a place for experts in a, in a in a pandemic emergency. There's a place for experts in science at all times, and they should be listened to. And of course, it is the job of politicians, as everyone knows, to filter out, you know, the uh, the noise and try and identify the signal and to try and balance experts from different points of view uh, against their previous record and what what actually turned out to be the case last time they they anticipated and projected and modeled and, and were found to be grotesquely in error and to try and take that into account this time around nobody wants to see there be any unnecessary loss of life but experts all come down on one side and it's always precaution it's always like medicalization pathologization it's always about trying to be prevent preventable deaths because that's i'm not i'm not call, calling them corrupt or anything or suggesting that they're wrong about that that's just always their focus and it always will be because that's the culture they come from and you combine that with the as i say the degree to which frankly i think at a subconscious level and possibly even a conscious level for some of them i'm not saying they're enjoying it but the fact is it's probably been the most exciting couple of years of their lives they've they've experienced as a sage a huge elevation in status they don't want it to end they don't want the journalists don't want it to end the media don't want it to end because everyone is once again just as legacy media were dying people are once again absolutely glued to their screens devouring news media uh, from trusted sources, there are attempts by Joe Biden to criminalize anyone who uh, puts misleading disinformation on Facebook and to and to force Facebook and all social media companies to ban anyone who says something that isn't currently approved, even though people like Dr. Fauci, you know, within very recent memory, were saying things about masks or social contact or whatever that would now get him banned if he were to say them now. Yeah. It's, it's the whole culture has gone absolutely crazy for experts and we have to get some kind of grip on understanding the limits of their capacity to guide our actions they should be paid some attention but they cannot be uh, regarded as a uh, as a, as a uh, the only source of youth of useful and usable information and an opinion and wisdom and they are all having a good pandemic and people who aren't and who want things to get back to some degree of normality are, are out of the picture. They have no access. So, they have no voice. The millions of them, and they're just not being listened to. So hang on. So I've got two questions there, two important questions, really. One, one is, well, one is more of a statement in the sense that I feel like there's an expert for every occasion. So it, it, you don't have to wait long for a headline. For example, Sage, one of the Sage uh, uh, people were saying the other day that masks were there really as a com I mean, we'll come on, we may come on to masks, but masks were there as a comfort wearing thing and they weren't really that effective. And that was a headline in literally, I read it about yesterday or the day before. But then I also read a headline, I think from, was it from the Times that's being flagged up 
by on Twitter by someone who works with Twitter, uh, interestingly, was was the fact that in Israel they are now considering whether they, after having dispensed with masks, they're now thinking of back going back to a lockdown. So you can you can read so many headlines. I mean, this is why it's so confusing for people, and I yeah. have a lot of sympathy. You can read, uh, you know, maybe that goes into the too many experts box. But but so so one 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 question is. But isn't there an, an expert for as we go horizontal? Uh, one question is, um, isn't there an ex expert for every occasion anyway? And then the other question is, who is it that's being sidelined away? Who, who's not being let into the debate that should be? Well, I, I, the, the expert for every occasion is right. And that's kind of what I'm what I'm saying, really. But all experts who are granted sort of expertise on the basis of their medical qualifications will all tend towards the view that everything should be done to try and minimize the spread of the disease and to and to and to minimize the number of deaths and of course some people might listen to me saying that and just go well yeah duh i mean wouldn't you say that was the priority but the fact is no you've got 60 million people in this country 600,000 of them on average die every year you know tens of thousands of them will die of flu or pneumonia every single winter we have to get used to the fact that there's a degree of mortality associated even in our modern kind of disease-free and germ-free and highly sanitized condition you know we have to understand that you have to live with these things we had no idea of course a year and a half ago how soon vaccines might be available and how safe they would be and i'm not dismissing ideas that some people might have anxieties about whether they're safe or not but it's changed the picture dramatically and a lot of the experts are no longer willing to discuss the degree, the likelihood of, you know, of, of anyone being hospitalized, let alone dying of the thing if they catch it. You know, the whole, the whole point of vaccination, or at least this particular kind of vaccination, is that it kind of, it, 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 it basically means it runs through you without basically knocking you out to such an extent. So anyway, that's, that's my point is that experts in this context are overwhelmingly from a background where their commitment is to minimizing death from a pandemic they will then argue whether or not the masks work whether lockdown works whether you know everyone should be vaccinated what level of herd immunity might work what the danger is that's presented to children all the rest of it but you just don't hear from anyone who is talking about all the other manifest effects that this is going to have you know the huge economic impact it's already had and talking about economics next to life and death sounds callous, but it isn't. It economics causes death too, you know. Economics causes blighted lives. Children who graduate from university in the midst of a recession have markedly worse lives for their whole lives, you know, 60 years ahead of them that will be badly hurt. We haven't even begun to deal with the economic fallout from what we've had already. You cannot just keep suppressing people like this i just don't think it's healthy and i think there's an enormously sinister drift in people's attitude to life generally i just can't believe that the british people would have put up with this level of of, of suffocation for you know 50 years ago i find it quite worrying the, the extent to which people are just happy to be to be you know shooed back into their little boxes and and told to be quiet and sit down and behave themselves and, and have accepted it but well, I, I think I, we need to shake know. it on I, I mean i think that because you people's lives are sort of 
whatever they do, they're usually busy enough to the point where if there's somebody taking the decisions and responsibility for them in a particular area, that kind of yeah. that's one less thing in their inbox. But one one thing I just made, made I was thinking about as we were talking was um, the the pushback. So that around the table, you know, you've got your sage experts and all the rest of it who will say different things. But I understand that what you're saying is most of the people with that kind of uh, medical training will tend to go for one particular conclusion. But there was there were pushbacks to the uh, you know there was. Rishi Sunak's eat out to help out there was the kind of slowness of the winter sort of yeah. lockdown as well so actually when when you might or when somebody might argue that those voices have been listened to it's led to some pretty clunky decisions it, it is true that eat out to help out might not have been the brightest thing I, I mean I'd I want to say, just to put against all that railing kind of monologue that I just came out with, <laughs> I'm glad I'm not in charge. I'm glad my voice isn't being listened to, you know, any more than it is, because it's it's very, very difficult to get these things right. And I wouldn't want, you know, blood on my hands either. And, and I do understand how how difficult it must be to try and make those, you know, get that balance right. I'm not saying either that I think this government have been completely in hock to the wrong experts. There have been one or two incidents and individuals that I've got issues with, but broadly speaking, I, I think every government has tried to get it right. You know, I don't, I don't have any sort of sinister views that they're in, they're in the pocket of big pharma or anything like that. It's, it's more the way the, the media give a voice to a certain kind of, um, point of view, a certain kind of set of priorities expressed through expertise, because that does actually support the media's agenda, which is to keep you all terrified and always has been. You know, the media in my whole lifetime has all just basically been, as Mankin said, you know, lining up a sequence of hobgoblins to uh, just to make you terrified and, 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 and consequently dependent on the media to give you the next, you know, chapter as soon as it breaks. And that's 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 where my issue is more than the government actually listening to these people. What the government do with their how they organise their um, panels and and who who they pay attention to and what credence they give to certain points of view is a, is a separate matter, really. I suppose I'm I'm just in that rant and and really now voicing my own exasperation and impatience with a certain kind of. Uh, angle and attitude and credentialism that, you know, has people who have just clearly got it wildly wrong multiple times in the past, still appearing on GMTV, still appearing on Jeremy Vine's Channel 5 discussion programme, you know, after they've trotted out absolute crap shows, and been exposed to schools. <laughs> that is like Sorry? my life. I, I have to, I'm a total addict to that show, but... Um... Uh, yeah. Well, anyway, I, it's almost become written into my own Let's Kill Twitter contract that I have to mention that every time it's ridiculous, becoming a yeah. cliche. Although I have to say, every time Jeremy Vine talks about cycling, I just have to kind of close my ears and go, la, 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 um, Well, you I, know, I'm a keen cyclist, but he's almost enough to turn me. Well, there you go, you see. <laughs> there you go. Uh, um, I, I, I mean, look, let, let's. Um, there's a good segue into the next tweet, but just before we go, uh, it is fascinating. I mean, look, you only have to look at South America. You can pick a number of South American countries as case studies, and they seem to be giving opposite messages. Although, if you look at headline countries like Brazil and America and the US and what happened in the US, although now you look at the US and it was one of the first places to totally ditch restrict. Well, some states were doing that anyway, but 
it's ditched restrictions to yep. a to a level that you would not have foreseen, really. Um, now, one of the things that you mentioned was Joe well, Biden. The case in America and the, the propaganda bit. Go on, sorry. No, no, go on. I was just going to say, America in particular was, it was so politicised there, you know, and the hypocrisy there in terms of everything was just done by by the media and the, uh, uh, and the Democrats to essentially undermine... I mean, Trump was was like, obviously, his messaging was bizarre, you know, and that they, he, he left loads of open goals. Oh, you're saying we should gargle with bleach. You know, I, I watched what he said and he I didn't think he was telling me to gargle with bleach. But, you know, messaging is like that. But but everything was I mean, there are, you know, there are quotes of Kamala Harris saying that she wouldn't trust the vaccines because she was trying to undermine him as soon as she's in power. She's like, of course, get vaccinated quickly. You know, it's so politicized there, much, much worse than our culture, luckily for us. Yeah, still just about. So one of the things that we mentioned in that exchange was the Joe Biden and talking about Facebook's um, still allowing uh, sort of fake news and, and what have you, uh, or false, false news, as I noticed that Facebook like to term it. But um, <laughs> what struck me uh, about that, I mean, obviously, um, Brett Weinstein uh, has been one of the people to sort of suffer from uh, YouTube uh, issues, uh, I believe. And he has been, yep. he was one of the first people to talk about uh, the Wuhan lab and the possibility of, yes. the, of COVID coming from a lab. Not man-made, I think he emphasises, but something that escaped from a lab. And that brings us quite nicely onto Damien Council's tweet, uh, which is, is using uh this this now, I mean, is, is this the biggest meme we've ever had? <laughs> um, I, I'm doing, I must admit, I've done the reading here to save you doing more reading from the phone, but you're more than welcome to read out any of the tweets. But but this, so this um, picture of Bill Murray and Tilda Swinton, uh, is this, I've, I've been a bit slow, I've been, I've used the meme, but I've actually neglected to do my research about what film it's come from. Is it recent or is it? It's a new it's, picture, yeah. It's yeah. Wes Anderson, who I think is the oh, third Wes one. Anderson again. Yeah, it's the oh. usual suspects for the Wes Anderson movie. I, I, well, first time I saw it, I didn't really understand it. My main take was that, that Tilda Swinton is wearing her jacket in a way that I sometimes do when I'm trying to show off because I've lost some weight <laughs> over it to the left. But um, it's a um, it's a very very funny picture, in, in, you know, in in just like. Bill Murray just being such a weird outlying oddball that it, I didn't pick it so much for Damien's uh, specific uh, example, although that is a good one, as to just sort of celebrate that was this week's great meme and it will all be gone. In a, and that is something, since you wanted it to be about Twitter, that is something that I do love about Twitter, the, the way that uh, uh, a meme will just flare up. And it is such a kind of emergent phenomenon. It would be so very difficult for TV writers, you know, for any writing rooms, to compete with Twitter on things like this. It's so good at it and it, it's just great. And I, and I think that is a very funny one, but there are loads of yeah. them. And if you, if you go on Twitter and just search for it, you will find dozens of so incredible creativity and, and uh, you know, that, that classic uh, sort of definition of comedy of just seeing things from a slightly oblique angle. Twitter is really, really very good at that to the degree that actually, if you're a professional comedian, it can be quite dispiriting to see what people who, who have no professional. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. <laughs> and they come out with some absolute singers, and yeah. you're just thinking, I'm never going to write a line like that. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, that's right, because it's the one they've done. Yeah. It's a brilliant. It is. It has. Um, it has really caught. I mean, when I've played around with it, I mean, I did do a mocking tweet. 
uh, about, oh, don't forget you've got 48 hours to sort of enter your meme for this picture, your quote for this picture. But but actually, I think it's going to be there up, up with the jilted girlfriend and the button pressing and all the rest of it. I think it's going to be there <laughs> yes. for a while. <laughs> I hope so, yes. Um, so in this one, uh, Damien Council's put, uh, so we're going from the young guy uh, right to left to right, I should say, biosafety level one, biosafety level two, biosafety level three, and then Bill Murray in the shirt is Wuhan Institute of Virology. You know, <laughs> harsh, but possibly, potentially fair, we shall see. Um, well, the funny thing is that, that it's, a, it's a great joke anyway, but you're right, it wouldn't have been a great joke three months ago. It would have been seen as, you know, Damien would have been seen as tinfoil hat man. Now, I think if, if everyone's honest with themselves, most people now accept that, of course, it came out. Oh, I can... <laughs> how, how much of a coincidence is it? I mean, it's just absurd. And, and I don't know anyone who really thought it was from bats to begin with. But, you know, it is quite interesting that how um, I, I do kind of understand why they might have not wanted World War Three to kick off until we had the pandemic under control. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, scheduling is important. <laughs> um, right. OK, I'm glad we segued to that. Um, to, uh, uh, Martin wants to know how far away from the sea you are. <laughs> oh, there's, can you see the sea? Oh, yes, I thought it was that direction. There we go. Oh, that's yeah. I'm, I'm walking round and round on a verge because it's the signal is a little bit stronger. Oh. When you're right on the seafront, the signal just disappears, disappears over to France. <laughs> I, I thought I thought that might be the case. Well, that's good. We're, we def, we definitely appreciate that. So, oh goodness, now really, okay, now these quite tricky to fit into ten minutes, but we might just do it. Um, okay. Let's. Uh, so if this is one about proportional representation so sam friedman whose tweets we featured a lot um he's responding to something that matt goodwin has uh speeted, uh, has tweeted about uh, twitter twitter being representative society or never never having been representative society in fact i think i saw david aronovich pick up on this one as well uh well i mean i think i might go through this actually it's interesting Twitter, which has never been representative of the society, is increasingly turned in on itself. I'm spending much less time on here as I no longer think it's very useful. If anything, it underscores how culturally isolated ABC ones are from the rest of the country. Now, I know that like David Aronovich's sort of reply to that was, is, well, I might just find that because I picked that out, uh, not realizing that your tweet would indeed touch on this. He, he says, oh, it's the self-heroizing pomposity of this. Twitter is who you follow. So Twitter is where you are is essentially his argument. But the point that you've picked up, the angle you've picked up, well, Sam Friedman picked up, Friedman picked up on, was um, more about sort of both progressive voting intentions and so forth. So he said 52% yeah. for progressive parties versus 43% for the Tories. Just because first past the post helps the Tories doesn't mean their views are the majority. Uh, yeah. And then uh right so if pr right, uh, so if pr on the other hand would benefit progressive parties uh on inverted commas and they would be capable of forming a functioning coalition then surely they should form one before each election and clean up yet strangely they never do odd that <laughs> so i mean do you yes. think so let's think about batley and spen when ed davey basically i mean honestly the wink meme was perfect for ed davey for that by-election because he basically just said you know we're not going to do anything here. Um, fill your boots. Although there was a lot more going on in that by-election, quite frankly. None of it good, but there was a lot more going on in that by-election. But there was this element of, yeah. uh, I think, the Green candidates stood down, the Lib Dems didn't do anything. So surely progressive alliances are just informal now. Well, 
the Batley is a is obviously a pretty sui generis case in particular, and probably a, a you know a, a rabbit hole we shouldn't go down now. I will just mention, by the way, David Aronovich's tweet on that front before I answer your question. Yeah, yeah. He is right, of course. Twitter is who you follow, and it is perfectly possible to find you know a bubble where you're not challenged, or indeed to find other voices. But Matt is also correct in that Twitter, when we say Twitter, like as a cynic doc for a certain kind of voice on Twitter, that isn't totally arbitrary. There is only a certain kind of person who talks about politics on Twitter. There are loads of other people who don't care about politics on Twitter and vote Tory and might traditionally have come from Labour voting families and be kind of red wall Tory voters. But they talk about football, you know, or Love Island or whatever. <laughs> That's kind of the point. They're not saying I've had like, the, you know, Jeff Norcott or whatever is their kind of comedian, but they're not saying um, I find uh, Starmer's attempts to rid the Labour Party of the anti-Semitic cranks that bedeviled its chances five years ago has been inadequate. They don't bother, you know what I mean? So Aronovich is wrong, actually. Goodwin is, is, uh, is, it makes, I suspect, bona fide attempts to read the country through Twitter and finds it's wanting because Twitter is invariably shocked, appalled and discouraged every single time the Tories win an election. And it's not just the people I follow or the people he follows or indeed the people David Aronovich follows. There isn't another part of Twitter that is as interested in politics as the kind that is the bien pensant left progressives, you know. So that's that. In terms of the, the progressive ability to form a coalition, obviously I'm being sarcastic, they can't do it. There's just always massive infighting. And so Sam's point, the reason it's moot, is that he sort of assumes that all those other parties who aren't the Tories, who would amount to a, a majority if they could only get together, are essentially just, you know, divided by trivialities and colours of mm. rosette. Uh, and mm. if they would only spend a couple of hours sitting around the table with the sandwiches and the beers, they could sort it all out. And it's just not true, you know. And the yeah. idea that the Scottish National Party is... is I mean, well, anyway, that's another rabbit hole. But then, <laughs> yeah, I, I would love to see, I mean, to an extent, you might argue that is basically what Tory Blair, Tony Blair did, was not actually create a coalition, of course, but, you know, but he basically managed to throw a rope around mm. a lot of Lib Dem voters yeah. and, uh, and a lot of soft Tories as well. A lot of, you know, very centrist Tories thought, actually, this looks like a good opportunity to encourage the Labour Party and their determination to reform. This is to be encouraged. The, the Tories have run out of steam and run out of energy. And uh, let's get him in there, you know, and, and that worked, you know, politics is always about creating coalitions. It's the single greatest skill, not even just in humans. It's been well observed that chimps, you know, the ones that, that rise to be the leader of the pack are not the biggest or the strongest. They're the ones that are best at forming coalitions. So it's a very, very, you know, it's, it's Sam is to an extent, I was kind of exasperated that he was coming out with this hoary old chestnut. But there it is. I thought it was well, worth mentioning that one. And who knows the way the way Keir Starmer's uh, going, there might be there might be another kind of minority party to sort of disagree with the other ones as well. So Yeah, I wouldn't be at all surprised, to be honest, if the Labour Party, as we know it, is over. I, I think it might be a time for, for a, like a serious reimagining of, of how the uh, the left organises itself. And I'd kind of welcome that, you know, because the truth is the Labour Party in this country, it's had a good run, but it was established to, to serve a particular demographic who don't really exist anymore, or certainly not in the numbers you need, you know. And they, they, have, no, they have no comparison, really, with, the, say, the Democratic Party in America, which is arguably the natural party of government over there. Well, I mean, that's, and, and yeah, gosh, we could be here all day with that. We've somehow managed to find, I don't know how we've managed to find this, I'm just about to sneak Rob Henderson's tweet in about, I'm, fa I'm really fascinated by this because 
I, I needed deciphering. Uh, so Rob Henderson, uh, who's an academic, overproduction of PhDs has left yeah. a highly educated class with spare time and cultural capital to express their grievances. Risks of keeping too many aspiring professionals frustrated, buying off some literati can be cheaper than quelling their rebellions. Um, yeah. So you've written, this is a very good piece, interesting of readable length, and I honestly think one of the most important dimensions of growing instability among overeducated, underemployed young Americans sits alongside that devastating report about film school debt last week. So you, yeah, de decipher this one. I'm worried I might need a PhD for this one. <laughs> no, well, Rob's hand, Rob Henderson's tweet um, was a quote uh, that he put above uh, a link to a foreign, I think it's called Foreign Policy, the, the magazine it was in. And um, it was a very interesting article about the history of the Chinese civil service, essentially. And to, as concise as I can put it, for hundreds of years, the Chinese civil service were hired through a series of very, very demanding exams uh, for which thousands of young Chinese, I think exclusively men, were trained by ambitious families and, and, and the vast majority of them would be disappointed. And, uh, and they were, you know, really, really rigorous. Uh, obviously, it would help to have family contacts, but you couldn't get by just on money and bribery. You had to be really smart and really well prepared and drilled in order to pass these exams. And it was, it was the whole of the Chinese society was run by this elite and, and for hundreds of years was very successfully. Uh, they were very, very capable in that role. But gradually, um, things being what they are and human nature being what it is and so on it began to be overpopulated. The, there were workarounds were found that enabled you to either pass the exam without being quite smart enough, or simply to encourage the, 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 the civil service as it was to, to hire more people than it needed. And basically they had more, qualifi more qualified people. People would get the exams and get qualified and pass, but then not be able to rise up because there just weren't enough jobs available, certainly not enough senior jobs. And a degree of frustration began to be felt by these highly educated and, and competent individuals, which ultimately led to something called the, the, according to this article, the Taiping Rebellion, which was apparently, I don't know very much about it, but apparently one of the bloodiest land wars in Asia, in the history of Asia, which is saying something. So there's a, there's a real danger in creating a class of young people who are highly educated, granted, paper qualifications that make mm. them sound terribly important and like they should be able to just walk into a high paying, high status job and then disappointing them with the last stage of that process and then finding out that in fact, there are loads of them and, and it doesn't have the same capacity to unlock doors that it used to. And I think we're starting to see that now. I think that's been a real trend in the last 10 or 15 years. There's, I don't, I don't know what the solution to it is, but I think it's happening in this country as well. People are getting degrees, and they think traditionally, if you get a degree, you know, you've got a middle class lifestyle on on the on a plate, and it's no longer guaranteed uh, by any means. No, you know, no, not and, so, and this yeah. is difficult because this is dangerous because it's never good, obviously, to have young people being disappointed or or discouraged and for their own benefit as much as for the stability of the country. But when you've got a whole class of people who are just educated enough to be able to see that they're being screwed, but, but there's nothing else you can give them, that's a bit more dangerous arguably than, you know, the traditional sort of uh, more blue collar end of, of uh, frustration and anger, which might expose itself just through, you know, uh, unionization and so on it's it, it, it you, you get they have the capacity to really sort of work into the system like woodworm and and, and dismantle the whole stability of 
of the um, the hierarchy that you know any country requires to have some stability. You see, it's interesting. I, I mean, I only read that tweet very quickly before we started, and I um, so I see that it's more career frustration. But then I had a nuance of it of basically uh, all these sort of academics li lying around feeling a bit frustrated, and and it, I sort of tied it to the kind of the rise of woke. I don't know if there's anything in that. Yeah. As well. Yeah. Well, I think so. I mean, I, I he doesn't really emphasize that point. The article no. is essentially quite historical and just says uh, towards the end, we need to watch out. This could happen here. But yes, you could definitely say that. I mean, woke is a lot of different things and, well, yeah. and it spans yeah. from big, real grievances to utter fairy tale stuff. But you could certainly argue that the, the, the more kind of intellectually driven, the more intellectually rarefied forms of social critique that, that leave most people baffled and bewildered do come from, yes, from an overqualified and underemployed elite. You know, it, it, it's, it's, it's just very obvious human nature, isn't it? That if you, have, if you have that level of education or not able to use it in order to, to make yourself some money and feather your nest and improve your own life, you might start using it to explain why the system is fucked. <laughs> I mean, it, it's a tricky note to, to, to leave uh, uh, tonight on in the sense that, you know, we know that what's coming down the line economically is, is going to be pretty. And if, you know, we're talking about yeah. that at, at, at all ends, really, potentially. But um, who knows? You never know. There might be a significant economic bounce now. The one thing that I do think about human beings, which I always resort to when I need to cheer myself up, is that they have they are very bad at... Uh, keeping in mind absolutes and they they're, they're they're great comparators and they and they are very adaptable and all they really ever register like a tyrannosaurus rex registers movement you know in jurassic park <laughs> if you stand still it can't see you all humans ever register really has changed things are either getting better or they're getting worse and and i think actually things might start getting better in a funny way because we've been through something really, you know, the bottom has really been kicked out of a lot of people's lives. And I think if they hold the ship steady, I mean, I don't know how much confidence I have in what amounts to modern monetary theory, the, the level of debt that we've incurred in order to, you know, prevent insurrection in the last 18 months is, is eye-watering. But who knows, in the modern world, with interest rates as they are, it might be a while before any real pain is felt on that front. And people yeah. might start mentioning the fact that they're in convalescence and there is no better feeling in the world than convalescence. It's weird, but all those, I've always been at my happiest personally, and I think most people are, when, when you think you've, you wake up one morning and you no longer quite feel like death. Do you know what I mean? That's, that's actually- <laughs> Oh, it's always a good sign. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's why I stopped drinking, but yeah. Um, yeah. I, I yeah I mean that's I, I feel like we should be playing out to D Reams things can only get better, get better there you now. Go. But, I mean it's a, that is actually a, uh, is a good note to to uh, end it on actually um so hang stay with us uh, Simon just when we we'll stop the stream in in a moment and I just want to say a proper goodbye when we do that um but, okay. but for the benefit of everyone watching uh, obviously thank you very much for watching please do uh, follow us at LKT Zoom. Uh, I know you, people have been watching us on various streams tonight. And obviously, Simon is at the Simon Evans, if you're not already following Simon. Um, next week's show, thank you, Martin. Thanks both. Thanks, Martin. Um, next week's show is going to be with Robin Perkins. It's going to be the slightly earlier, well, definitely earlier time at 7 p.m. Uh, and I'll be 
sort of obviously advertising that. This show, we're going to do some clips from the show at some point during the week. We're also going to, I'm going to get it on a podcast as well. So there is no escape. Basically, you can watch it again on YouTube. You can listen to it on the various podcast outlets. Um, and it would be great to, to have your company again. Um, Simon, if you want to say, oh, actually, Simon, say goodbye, but also please tell people where they can, you can be seen next live. Yeah, sure. Um, yes, thank you very much for listening, everyone. Uh, Simon Evans, The Work of the Devil. If you Google those words, um, that should tell you any dates that are coming near you. If you go to my website, that's Simon Evans, uh, thesimonevans.com, or if you go to my agent's website, they're off the curb, and then click on my name. They also have a, and then also Chortle have a, a good list. Like they're all the usual sort of suspects for finding this stuff. But yeah, um, Work of the Devil is the tour. Simon Evans, Work of the Devil. Google those things, and you should find the dates that are, that are nearest you. Fantastic stuff. And is there anything else project-wise? Uh, at all new series of ghost to market starts on tuesday next week oh wow god is that the sixth series sixth series on radio four yeah wow. that's amazing oh fantastic i didn't know that there you go uh all right uh thanks simon that's been amazing just uh, hang there and i'll uh, we'll officially wave goodbye to our streamers thank you guys we'll see you next week we hope you enjoyed listening to the show please do check out the other podcasts in the series if you go to our website, www.letskilltwitter.com, you'll find all our previous shows listed and you can find links to the YouTube versions as well as audio files. If you'd like to support our work, you can do via buymeacoffee.com. If you go to their website, you'll find a Let's Kill Twitter page set up for donations. But anything you can do is much appreciated. A like, a follow, a recommendation to a friend, it all counts. Once again, thanks for listening. We hope to be in your ears again very soon.